We are now in the third installment of our study of the Shiva Denachemta. We're looking at the Haftarah that would normally be read this week on Niyasora. And again, the question uh, arises, we're skipping around Yeshayahu. And by the way, so far we've gone, gone sequentially, Perigmem, then Memtet to Nun Aleph, now Nun Dalid. Uh, next week we'll be going back to Nun Aleph and then be earlier in Nun Dalid than this. Uh, and so that we have to figure out like what the scheme is about. Uh, and as I put in a footnote here, even though this Shabbat we won't be reading on the Asora because it's Rosh Chodesh Elul, and so what we do is we attach it two weeks from now to Roni Akara, Roni Akara in Kitetse. Nonetheless, we're going to study it because we're studying the seven in order that they're normally done. Um, okay, so before uh, getting into the Haftarah itself, I want to point something out here that goes back to the tradition from the Beit Nidrash of Rashi. It's from Sidur Rashi, although it shows up famously in Machzor Vitri and in other uh, works of that school. Uh, and Rashi, by the way, did not write this Sidur, it was written by his students. And he has, Ve'elu Simanei Haftarot, Haftarot is misspelled, as you see, Mishivasabe Tamuz Adsof Ha'azinu. And this is the custom of the Haftarot that are read during this period. The famous acrostic board is the Shach Noah Arak Sadash, right? Which is, um, uh, Divrei Yumiyahu, and he lists them all. Shimud Varashem, Chazon Yishayahu, Nachamu Nachamu Ami, Vatomer Tzion, etc. And all the Haftarot, the three Haftarot of Puranut and the seven Haftarot of Nechama, plus two more. This Dalit is Dirshu from Tzom Gedalia, and this is Shuva from Shabbat Shuva. So it gives you a list and walks through. But Rashi makes a point here that gets then ex- expanded and, and amplified upon uh, in later works, which is, he says the following, Kach derech, and I underlined it, Kach derech menachamim lenachem ma'at ma'at. In other words, nechama has to come slowly. And he gives an example of Amar lenacharav, Somebody has been devastated by something. You come up to, to, to somebody who, whose husband was killed climbing up to the 106th floor on 9-11. I was just talking about 9-11 to some of my students. Uh, and you try to give them coming and telling him all these great, wondrous things that are going to happen when they're at the bottom of the pile is like coming up to a beggar and telling him tomorrow you're going to be a king. It's too much. It's unbelievable for them, and they can't accept it. There are other modes in which this is true, is that if you come to somebody and, and try to give them too grand of a picture, it is insulting to their loss. And so it has to happen in a slow path, in a slow fashion. And I think that's what happens here. So we're going to do two things here, very simply. We're going to go through the Haftarah, read it, and see what it means. And then try to figure out why this is an appropriate message to come where it does in the order of the Haftarot. We're not going to look at, at its place within the order of the Nevoot of Yishayahu, but I will contend again that this is a third voice. It could be one Navi with three voices. It could be th- third Navi, a different Navi with a, a different voice because it had a different message. And the Minhag Yisrael, which again is quite ancient, uh, is to take these messages and read them in this order uh, like I said, but also in an order that makes sense. And so again, I appended at the beginning of this Nachamu Nachamu Ami, because uh, the Navi is is one of that group, or is one of the voices that are supposed to be Menachem. 
And notice that we have the phrase um, uh, in the past of Torah also. And here it shows up one time, which is the very beginning, So you who are impoverished and who are torn by storm, as it were, and has not been has not been comforted. And here's the message that that's going to happen. Um, the after I short, uh, and we're going to take a look at afterwards is a, a proposal that I have about what the message of the after is based on its mivna, based on its structure. But let's go through the words. Anytime we want to study Tanakh, the first thing I do is go through the words, make sure we understand the words. And so he approaches, um, now who's he approaching? Is he approaching the city? He's approaching the people. Um, it, and the, the answer is yes. In other words, there's been a confluence, and we saw it last time also in Gatom Ritzion. There's a confluence and a deliberate blurring of the identity of the city and its people and the relationship between Hashem and the city as the city being Kilu, the wife of Hashem, and the city and her children as the city being the mother and the children being the children or the, the lovers, as it were. All right, so here we go. All right, you have not been comforted. I am going to lay in puch is evidently uh, a very uh, fancy and expensive gemstone. I'm going to lay puch into your stones. I'm going to found you with sapphire. Now, the description here is that I'm going to uh, going to establish your walls. Now, if you recall from last week, God says your walls are always facing. I'm always thinking about your walls. The walls of your city. And now I'm going to inlay those walls with precious gems. The samtikad chod shimshotaych. Shimshotaych here seems to be your windows. And I'm going to inlay them with also precious stones. Now an ekdach, as we all know in Hebrew, is a pistol. But ekdach seems to be come from the word likdoach, which is, is both about, to, in modern Hebrew, to, to drill, but also means to... To inflame, kiesh kadchavi api. We have in Hazinu. So sharayich lavneak dach, which means you picture stones that are like on fire, meaning like uh, they, they have such strong light that comes from them. Now gvul is an interesting word because we think gvul, we think about border, a line that separates two countries or two properties, but uh, gvul also means your territory. Um, that's not just the bound, the, the borders of the whole area. Which means you picture here, kind of like people used to talk about the, the golden in Medina, you know, that there's gold in the streets, and kind of like the way that the Tzayf Malachim describes Shlomo's Malchut, just gold and fancy gems everywhere. Okay, so the first two Psukim are Hashem speaking to the city and saying, I'm going to turn you into just a splendorous place of all of these fancy stones, which is why the next pasuk is just so jarring. In other words, all of your children will be those who learn from Hashem. And there'll be great peace among your children. The drush is very famous. And the psukim here seem to be kind of jarring left to right and unclear how they connect. 
It's like the old saw goes. You know, in Parak and Tilim, we don't know what one Parak has to do with the next Parak. In um, in uh, Mishlei, we don't know what pa- one Pasuk has to do with the previous Pasuk. And in Eov, we don't know what one word has to do with the previous word. Right? Uh, but, but here, it does seem to be kind of jarring where things don't connect. You will be established through righteousness. And again, the words don't even seem, seem to make sense. Distance yourself from, from oppression or from, uh, from uh, abusive, exploitative practices. You should not be afraid. And mechita is destruction or terror. It won't happen to you. Now, how is any of this hanging together? And here we have the pasuk that's probably the hardest one to interpret. Hain gor yagor efes meoti. Now, what does gor yagor mean? And the Farshim are divided in two uh, not equal camps, but uh, as far as who, who, you know, how many take what position. But lagor means to to be a ger, right? So that means that means. The one that attaches him will attach himself to nothing but me, which is a very strange thing. Or lagur means, as in Sefer and Parsha Tvarim, lo tagur meish to be afraid. Hang gor yagur efes mioti, and we're going to favor this position, this interpretation. He that you will only be afraid of me, meaning you have nothing to be afraid of but me. Efes meoti, migar itach alayich yipol, and this is seems to be a rhetorical question. Whoever is garitach, and it's a play on words, here is the one who has attached himself to you, alayich You think that he's afraid of someone falling on you? Alayich means another nation attacking you and subjugating you? Nothing to be afraid of. Hine, and here we have a little bit of an issue because the word hain was used in Tetvav to introduce sort of a surprising statement. And the word hine is going to be used um, uh, Hain is going to be used here again and uh, at the end, uh, but here it's read as Hine. Hine Anochi Barati Harash. Now, this Anochi seems to come back to Hine Anochi Mabitz Papuch. So, Hine Anochi Barati Harash. I'm the one who created the smithy, meaning the ability to, to forge. Nofeach Be'esh Pacham, who was able to use the bellows to f- fire things. This takes us back to Yumiyao Yudchet. The Beta Yotzer, Ineka Chomer, Biyada Yotzer, it's all in my hands. I'm also the one who created the one who can destroy things. All right, which again, how is any of this hanging together? So any vessel that's created to attack you won't work. And now any tongue that stands up against you, meaning anybody making a libelous claim against you, you will be able to, Lahashia here means to disprove, to rebut. That is the inheritance, that's the legacy of Avdeh Hashem and their righteousness from me, says Hashem. And before we go further, we got to figure out, I mean, this whole phrasing is, is odd, and we got to try to put it together and see what, what, what's happening. In Pasuk Yeral Finubet, God is addressing the city that has not been comforted, and saying, I am going to make you a place of unbelievable opulence. And then in Yod Gimel, there seems to be a jarring break. He says, and all of your sons will be 
learned of Hashem. And in Yodale, there's another jarring move, which is you will be established through justice and righteousness, and you have nothing to fear. And then Tadav seems to pick up on that, which is there's nothing to fear but me. And then Tadzayan and Yodzayan seem to be saying, I'm the one who's created everything, and nothing can be created to hurt you. And if the if the thing that's coming to hurt you is not a physical tool, but a legalistic tool, somebody's coming to challenge you, you will have the ability to defend yourself. And this is uh this is what I have for 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 Abde Hashem. I will figure it all out, but let's see the end. The end goes to the next parak, which is, again, a jarring dissonance. Not dissonance in the sense of opposition, but but just, it's almost like a whole different topic. Hoi called some And by the way, gufa kasha. It's not only is this problematic in relation to what we just read, it's problematic in and of itself. Hoi called some Hoi is a call. Anybody who's thirsty, go get water. Which, by the way, itself is a strange statement. If the guy's thirsty and he knows there's water there, why do we need you to tell me go get water? And anybody who doesn't have any silver, now Lishbor usually means to buy. Remember the most famous scene of Lishbor is Lishbor Bar Mimitzrayim, when the brothers go down and everybody's going down to buy uh, food from Egypt. Go down and Buy and eat, but this is somebody who doesn't have any money. And go and without any silver or any other payment, you will go and you'll be able to buy not just water, wine and milk. What the heck is going on here? The, the statement, again, doesn't fit with anything we've just seen. Not only that, but it doesn't make sense in and of itself. Somebody is thirsty and somebody has no silver, go to the water, not only that, but go and buy and acquire wine and milk, with no money. And this is clearly related to the previous one, but it's also going in a different direction. The previous one was talking about liquids. Now, why are you weighing out silver without getting bread and all of your work, your 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 payment, I mean, the, what you have, your payment for your work, and you're not being satisfied? Again, what's going on? Listen to me and you will eat well. And you will be pleased, you'll have pleasure, you'll have lots of delights. Okay. And before going further, this does seem to echo what we saw in the first half of the Haftarah, that you have nothing to fear as long as you're listening to me, but still we have to go further. So bend your ears, and hearken, and come to me, if you listen to me, you will live. I will then make an everlasting greet with you, which are the chasadim, we're going to talk about that word, of David, which are trustworthy. And David seems to be invoked here because I made him, so that him must be David, a witness for the nations, somebody who's a leader and a commander of all the nations. In other words, I've turned David into like leader of all the nations. A nation that you're not familiar with will call the Goy Lo a nation you don't know is going to run towards you. What the heck is going on? I don't know if you guys are sensitive to this. I'm 
bothered by this. I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm in a maze. And every time I take a turn, there's a block. And I got to try in the other direction. And the cheese is nowhere to be found. It's all for Hashem. And because God has made you glorious. What is going on here? So I'd like to suggest that the best way to understand what is happening in this Haftarah is to look at it from the perspective of its structure. The first two psukim are a unit. That's clear. They talk about God promising he's going to make the city inlaid with gold and precious, precious jewels. The third, the next two psukim are of a different nature, and we've got to see how they're related. All of your children will have learned of Hashem. They'll have great peace. And you will be established through justice, and you will distance yourself from oppression and exploitation. What does this mean? So we have to go back into the, into the period. This is a prophecy being given to the Jews who are in Bavel, telling them to come back. This is Nechamah. And you have to remember, how did we end up there in the first place? So I will take you back to what may, may be the most critical passage in this entire series, which is not in Yeshayahu. It's in Zechariah We studied it, I think, a couple of years ago. When the people, in the when the delegation was sent to Zechariah and asked, or should we continue fasting in Av for the destruction of Mikdash after the Mikdash is rebuilt? And remember Zechariah's answer. Zechariah's answer was, you're asking the wrong question. The question is, fast, don't fast. That's not the issue. The issue is, have you fixed what was broken? Did you go back and listen to the words of the Nevi'im that I sent, notably Yirmiyahu, and correct what was going wrong? They didn't listen, and look what happened. So here, the message seems to be, okay, your children, this is the promise, your children will all have learned Hashem's ways and established the society that Hashem wants, which is the society of Tzedakah, and distancing themselves from terror, from, from exploitation, and from abuse, then you got nothing to be afraid of. Now, let's go back. The next three psukim, so we had two and two. The next three psukim say the following. Basically, God is in control of everything. Now, this is not new. This is something that we saw in the first Haftarah, which was a creation epic. And we saw in the second Haftarah, which is control over the nations. And so here, it, it that theme continues. God is the one who created everything, and since God is protecting you because you are building the society that you were supposed to build, and you failed to build, and that's why the Mikdash is destroyed, and Yerushalayim is destroyed, but now you're going to build the proper society, and since God is in control, he's going to make sure nobody will be able to create a weapon that can hurt you. And if anybody wants to challenge you in the court of public opinion, you will have the ability to respond successfully, right? Which is, la mishpat, la mishpat Right. So what happens at the end? At the end, we again have three psukim, this water, milk, money thing. What's that about? That seems to be going back to here. And this is what I'd like to suggest, is that this entire haftarah is made up of two sets of mixed stanzas. Two psukim and three psukim, two psukim and three psukim. The first set is about the the success and the protection of Yerushalayim, which is this the success and the opulence of Yerushalayim in the first two psukim, and here though the comfort and the security and the assurance that nobody be able to hurt us. 
That's on a physical level. That's on a, on a defense level. That's on a material level. The second set of two and three, which is right here, these two psukim yod gimel yodalit, and then the beginning of the next parak, are about what it will take to get there. What it will take to get there will be for your children to learn the lessons from the Nevi'im and to establish a society based on those norms that they've been teaching. And now let's look at this last section, or the the penultimate section, which I believe is the second half of this. What is this water and milk and money and what's it all about? So it, it's it's pretty clear, and Chazal picked this up right away, that ain't my mela Torah, and some means somebody who does not have Torah, and they realize that they're thirsty. He says, anybody wants, come to come to water. Now, what does that mean? Vashe'en lo kasef. This takes us to an image that we have all the way back in Shmuel. When Shaul goes looking for his donkeys, the lad says to him, you know, there's an Isha looking, there's a Ro'eh, who can tell us where the donkeys are. And what does Shmuel answer? Ein lanu Navi. We have no gift to bring him. You would bring a gift to the Navi. What does the Navi here say? I don't need your money. You don't need to bring Kessa. You don't need to bring anything. You want water? Come. And not only that, you can come. And as if you've transacted, Shivru. And not only that, but I will give you not just water. I'll give you milk and wine, which, by the way, are throughout Tanakh metaphors for Torah. Right? You don't need to be weighing out money to buy food. Come to me and listen to me and listen, meaning to the Nevi'im, and you will be satisfied. Which means, again, there's this promise, as we saw here in Yod Gimel Yodalad, that if you listen and establish the society based on the norms that they were supposed to and that were violated, and that's why the Mikdash was destroyed, you will then have a society that is secure, that is successful, that is then ultimately opulent, and uh, and and that is established on the on the lines of Stakau Mishpat, and then you have nothing to fear. Not only have nothing to fear, but you also uh, will have all the needs that you that you have will be taken care of. But notice how he makes it clear at the end. So you don't need to start to figure out the metaphor of the water and the milk and the silver and all of this. Hatuos nechemul chuelais. Incline your ears. Listen to me. You live, you listen to me, you live. So now what is this Brit David? Because we're going to step back and ask the question. You have an individual who corrects his behavior or her behavior, walks away from, uh, from abusive behavior, from exploitative behavior, from, from jaundiced attitudes, whatever it might be, and improves himself or herself. That's great. We're not talking about that. We're talking about a society. We're talking about a government. We're talking about a country in which the, 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 the move of the society is, and the move of the people is to listen to the Naveen, to take those messages to heart and to actually guide their behavior based on those, based on those values that are being, that are being, uh, presented. You do that. And then I'm going to make a breach which is a Brit Olam. That's the first thing. A Brit Olam in the sense that it's never going to be betrayed. This is now forever. And then he says, Chastei David Hanemanim. What does Chastei David here mean? So it's important to note that the word Chesed, which we commonly translate as kindness, 
In the context, certainly in the context of David, take a look at, at Tehillim Petet for a real clear example, seems to actually mean loyalty. Um, and so Chastei David Nemanim, and you see the word Nemanim, would mean that my loyalty to David is now going to drive this breach that I'm going to make with you. Now, who's David? David is not just a great guy. David is not just a great composer of song. David is Hamelech. Which means, what is the breed that I'm going to make with you? It's a breed of machut. A breed not only that you will be, have all of your needs taken care of, you'll have security, you'll have opulence, all of that. You are going to be the leaders. As long as you maintain your society according to the values that, that I presented to you. And now, how does this all come together? This is the whole Haftarah coming together. And both of these passages introduced with Haim. What did I do with David? I made David ultimately in an idyllic picture. It didn't happen in the real world. In an idyllic picture, I made David king of the world. The leader of the world, but as an aid. An aid meaning somebody who testifies to Hashem's presence. Right? And so now what's going to happen when that all happens? And by the way, this is alluded to already in Yaakov's Bracha de Yehuda. Ad ki avoshilo, ad perhaps related to aid. Right, take a look at the at the vast range of interpretive history there, but including an approach that says that that means meaning until the nations come and bring their gifts to the king, the king of Judah is the king that all the nations come to to uh, to pay obeisance to. Hain goy lote you're going to see nations that you never heard of. Nanesha, you never saw, you never knew about, they're going to run to you. In other words, you're going to see nations from all around the world coming coming to you. And that's how the Haftarah ends. They're coming for Hashem. And what is this Nivuah? What is happening here? So what um what seems to be going on in this in this whole picture is that the Navi is comforting the people, and again, we've moved it up a huge notch. The original consolation was Hashem is in charge of everything. That's number one. Week number two, or day number two of Shiv, if you will. Day number two is that Hashem always loves you. Hashem will not forget you. I'm always thinking of you. That's as far as it gets. And you have to remember who your ancestors are and how close they were to Hashem. Okay. And now we move it up. We say, but there's a much bigger future for you than just being able to come back and rebuild. There is a future now of opulence, of greatness, of international renown, and of ultimately fulfilling the promise given to David or the promise that David initiated that never really fully happened, which is to be a leader and a teacher to the whole world. But it all cycles back to one thing, which is you in your society establishing yourselves along the lines of the messages of the Nabim. So you don't have to worry about water. You have to worry about wine and milk. You don't have to worry about stones. You have to worry about anything. You have to worry about one thing. Listen to me. And in the last pasuk of that section, the Navi walks away from the metaphor and makes it very clear that the condition upon which all this is going to happen is you listen to me. And so now I want to make this very real world. In Yeshayahu Bet, which is 
in the same book, but not, not the same period. Yishayel Bet, very famous nevuah about Acharit HaYamim. Vayav Acharit HaYamim, Nachon Yehar Beit Adonai, Rosh HaYamim, Nisag Migvaot, V'naru Elav Kol HaGoyim. All the nations are going to stream to Har Beit HaLashem. And what are they going to say? They're going to say, Ki Mitzion Tetzei Torah, Dvar Adonai Yishalayim. We want to go learn from Hashem, the God of Israel, because that's where Torah comes from. What's going to motivate the nations of the world to say, What's going to motivate the nations of the world to suddenly come to Yerushalayim to learn? The answer is very simple. It's they're going to see a government, a country, a society, which operates on such powerful and elevated ethical norms that it blows them away. They're going to say, we really want to learn from you because we see you know what it, what it, what it's all about. And so here in this section of Yeshayahu, this Navi giving voice to that image says, this is all in your hands. And it could have been, it could have been what you had a hundred years ago, but you blew it. Your parents blew it, your grandparents blew it. Okay. And now it's something that you really have access to. And it's something that you're able to do. This is the third step of Nechama. And of course, it will continue. Um, as we, we look at Anuchi, Anuchi, Menachem, Chem, and we're going to see more, perhaps, uh, a step back to a more real world image because this is quite idyllic. But this is where the Haftarot takes us.